one of the things that stayed with the book was the power of not complaining. Um, so from a very young age, I just stopped complaining. So I just made a mental note and I would catch myself unconsciously complaining and I would reduce it and reduce it. Um, so I made this conscious effort for many years when I was still very young to stop complaining and it really worked. So I just, I did all this personal development, you know, the few books and, uh, and the mentor and, um, and also doing things that I loved from a young age kind of sort of put me in this mindset of, hey, you know, like everything is possible. Welcome to the Growth Never Stops podcast. My name is Michael and today's episode is with another bro of mine, my man and two-time TEDx speaker, Pericles Economides. You can also call him Mr. P. And this young man at the age of 23 has already accumulated a lot of life experiences and has had the chance to connect with and be mentored by successful people. And it's all going to be about stepping out of your comfort zone. We talk about pretty much everything, including just life in general, mindset, money, spirituality. Just make sure you get your paper and pen ready. Because I believe that you can learn a lot of stuff on this one. And enjoy this one, guys. It was a dope one. Pericles, my bro. It's an absolute pleasure to have you as one of my international guests. One of my early international guests. How are you doing, bro? Hey, good to be here. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Growth Never Stops, amazing podcast. Um, I'm very excited to be here and I'm feeling fantastic actually today. Dope, 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 man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Let's just start by, I would suggest that you briefly introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell us how old you are and where you're from. Mm-hmm. Just sure. get it started. So I'm 23 years old. I'm from Greece and Luxembourg. I was born and raised in Luxembourg, but originally my parents moved here 28 years ago. They found work from Greece. Uh, so they found the opportunity to you know, have a better life outside of Greece. We all know how it is at the moment, right? Um, so yeah, I'm, I feel Luxembourgish. However, there's Greek blood running in my veins. <laughs> nice. That's actually something I didn't really know about, especially as far as your youth. And can, can you maybe just give some early impressions of growing up in Luxembourg, but with parents coming outside of the country? Just mm-hmm. like for me, my dad is coming from the Congo. My mom is coming from Belgium. So the experience is a little bit different compared to real Luxembourgish mm-hmm. people, quote-unquote. Sure, so I grew up in the European school, so I was a lot involved with other nationalities, Spanish, Italian, Polish, etc. Um, it was a fun experience. You get to see a different side of Luxembourg. Like you, you, you hang around more with the international people, so it's a different experience for sure. Um, I did get a little bullied in school, and uh, outside of school, actually, in my neighborhood. Um, Why? Can you get into this? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't speak Luxembourgish, and the kids would call me a uh, penis glee, so they would, they would uh, make fun of me a lot. Um, I would cry sometimes when I was young, <laughs> but growing up, um, I talked to these guys again. We have a different connection now. We're friends, um, but it was, uh, I guess, in the beginning, because I was outside of Luxembourg and didn't speak Luxembourgish, kids saw me um, a bit of as an exterior, but with age, as with bullying, um, it slows down, and around the age of, I think, 13, I was never bullied again, so I was between the age of 8 and, and 13, Okay. and not too heavy as well. It was like subtle, subtle bullying. Right. Do you feel like it is still there are still some things you need to process from your childhood, um, like the, the bullying and all that? All yeah, hundred percent. Uh, probably more related with my family. Um, so like different traumas, you know, not experiencing um, 
sometimes not having the love that I was seeking um, or sometimes with um, with potential with girlfriends you know having your heartbreak early or friends that kept fitting the status quo and kept pulling you to fit the status quo and eventually you always feel that you're not enough and you've got to keep up and live to the status quo so yeah definitely several traumas one of them would be from the fact that uh i wasn't from here so i was a little bit bullied from other kids um uh, however i wouldn't call it an important fact like the most important trauma to overcome however it's definitely one (laughs) nice Let's get to the real stuff real quick. Sure. And, you know, as someone who was pretty much known for partying, for drinking, and even holding drinking records at your school, (laughs) could you tell us how did you even get into personal development? You know, when did that shift of paradigm start? All these goals and ambitions. Mm -hmm. Of course. So just to clarify, I'm still a party person. I love partying. (laughs) I love going out. Um, I'm not a big fan of drinking. I do drink sometimes in social occasions. However, I do enjoy, you know, the good life. Um, but I like to mix it also with, I'm, I'm the philosopher of work hard, play hard. So I don't like just, pl- you know, playing hard and then doing nothing outside of that. Uh, I think life should be lived to the fullest. So when you work, you do your best work, you do what you love and you do it at the maximum. But when you play, you also do your best play. So you go as hard as you can with the best friends you have as much as you can. Um, I would say I started getting into the personal development journey at the age of 15. I remember I wanted to become a professional video gamer. I played Dota, Defense of the Agents, uh, from the age of like, I don't know, like 10, all the way to 16, 17. Um, and I remember like back then, esports was not so big, right? So oh, wanna, now it's so big and you have so many yeah. multi-millionaires, gamers, it's crazy. Exactly. But now it's a different story. But back then it was a very new thing. People didn't understand it. So when I talked to my parents and the friends around me, I was like, hey, I want to become a, a Dota pro. You know, for me, it was normal. I had friends who were professionals. I would talk to professionals. Um, and I was like, I want to do this too. Um, and I remember like they didn't understand. They were like, what are you talking about? Like, stop this stop this dreamy stuff. And I remember I was at the airport in Luxembourg. And I was 15 years old and we're flying to Athens. And I'm walking by the bookstore. And I see this book saying, um, Keys to Success, 25 Principles to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be by Jack Canfield. And I remember I was like, oh. Maybe this book can teach me how to become a daughter pro. I mean, it clearly says that's 25 steps to how to get from where you are to where you <laughs> want to be. So I picked it up um, and I ended up reading it over and over again. I read it a couple of times till I was 18. I picked up some other books, The Magic of Thinking Big, Think and Grow Rich, I picked up early. Um, so by the age of 18, I had read a couple of books. I had just started getting into Tony Robbins. I would watch personal mm-hmm. development. Um, so I was just slowly shifting my mindset from like, hey, um, instead of being a victim i have complete control and power over my life to build what i want to build um so that started at 15 and it really got harder of personal development and self-growth at the age of 18 to 19 uh with the videos and with my first mentor um so yeah 19 would really be the the peak of my personal development success or growth what was then your mindset around that age right after high school were you thinking about getting a real job or a high-paying job, whatever? Or were you just think, thinking about having your own business, being a business owner? I was, you, I your was, mindset? I was lost, man. After high school, <laughs> I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was like, yo, everyone's telling me to go to university, to go get a job. But I'm like, this doesn't really make sense. Like, I can just get a job right away. You know, I don't have to wait to university. I can just, you know, show that I really want it and do the work and I'll let it take me. I don't have to get a degree for it. Um, but because I had no, no option, um, I followed my dad's path, which was go study in Greece. So I went to university in Greece to a business school. It was a very good business school. I spent there four months 
and um, I was very lucky to have met the right person. And he, I wanted, I, I was, I knew that I was good in events. I was organizing a lot of school parties. I knew that I was good with people and sales and marketing. Um, so my ex-girlfriend's stepdad used, uh, still is actually, he has a big event agency, marketing agency for uh, big companies. And we were friends. And four months into university, we were talking and he sent me an email. He said, hey, I have a job offer, a available position. If you want to apply, I can put you through my assistant and she can interview you. Um, and we did the whole process and uh, yeah, I left right after. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I just knew I just, I just, knew that I, I wanted to be around people who were doing something that inspired me. So I wanted to be inspired and I was very lucky to find a person who had this drive in him, this inspiration, this desire to to build things and do things. Um, and I ended up working for him from a very young age. Um, and that helped me a lot and shaped a lot my thinking process. Do you feel like the fear of the unknown was ever something that was holding you back? Um, to some extent, yes. However, I've, I've always had this feeling, this uh, confidence that no matter what happens, you'll be okay, um, right? Like I always saw that no matter what happens, you know, I still have a family, um, I still have friends, you know, worst case scenario, I'll be broke. Uh, I've been broke several times in my life, but even when I was broke, I was like, I'm surviving, you know, like food is, a, people will always give you food and places to eat. Um, so experiencing brokenness several times and being at the low low, just slow low made me understand that there's nothing really that is the end like there's never um there's never something that's going to finish you completely um so the fear of the unknown scared me but never to the point where i'm paralyzed because i'm i always know that plan b is always good you're always alive so nothing can really hurt you enough that you're too afraid to stop to stop going after it i would say i mean it's quite impressive to have these kind of thinking patterns around this early age. So how, how did you manage to stay this positive and grateful? Are there any practices? Yeah, definitely. So the book, the, one of the things that stayed with the book was the power of not complaining. Um, so from a very young age, I just stopped complaining. So I just made a mental note and I would catch myself unconsciously complaining and I would reduce it and reduce it. Um, so I made this conscious effort for many years when I was still very young to stop complaining and it really worked. So I just... I did all this personal development, you know, the few books and uh, and the mentor and um, and also doing things that I loved from a young age kind of sort of put me in this mindset of, hey, you know, like everything is possible. You can, there's always a way out. You can, um, there's, you can always move forward and go after what you want. It's never the end, you know, no matter what happens, you'll be okay. Just keep doing what you love. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, definitely a lot of books and the mentor too. Like Patrick helped me a lot. We can get into him as well if you want to. Yeah, of course. Sure, sure. Of course. Um, so Patrick was, um, so he was the CEO of a company called Absolute Blue. So they used to do marketing for Mastercard. So they every time Mastercard sponsored an event, he would be the agency that took care of the. That's big. Uh, yeah, man. it was very big. I was very lucky. Um, he would be the main. He would be the main agency doing the marketing for them. So we worked at um, the Champions League Festival, at Cannes Film Festival, and Golaga House, and he had this incredible persistence to his ideas so he would have these random ideas on how he wanted to market mastercard and this crazy activation or like one time he built his restaurant on top of a historic monument just for six months just to brand it as mastercard just for activation for his clients um and he had these crazy ideas and even though his own company would constantly go against him like what are you talking about like you cannot build a restaurant on top of the monument like you were never going to get approval for the thing he was just like no we're going to do it um and even with his own company and his own assistants going against this when he had this idea this belief of like hey i'm going to do this this is it 
he would pull it through. Um, so watching this level of like commitment and craziness, but also backing it up at a young age, I would say was the biggest factor that made me realize that anything is possible. You know, like um, uh, maybe, you know, you know the Parc Saint-Cantonaire in Brussels? The big... Yeah, yeah. So he built yeah. a restaurant on top of it. Uh, no, He had a restaurant real? there for six months. Yeah, for MasterCard. Um, so just, and I remember I would live in Brussels about 10 minutes from there. I stayed in Brussels for six months. And almost every night I would go and I would just sit at the bench, which it's full of benches in front, and I would just look at the at the monument and I would just imagine, you know, the restaurant on top and I would just kept thinking like, wow, like if he can do that, like what's possible, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely wise man, very loving, very caring with a lot of experience, and a lot of skills, um, who I owe him very much most of my early growth from at the age of 19 at least. Um, yeah, so I'm very thankful that he was in my life. And are there any other mentors that you've had over these past years? And if yes, can you tell us about the importance of having mentors? Sure. So I've always had mentors. I think that's one of the big things um, that helped me, that consistently helped me grow as a person. Um, I've been very blessed to always have, the, to have great people in my life who um, want to help me, but I've always found a way to help them. So it was always kind of mutual. Um, so yeah, the first one was Patrick. Then right after we moved into Sasha and Manu, uh, Sasha Borsellini and Manu Cruzetti, they were my first sales and marketing and business mentors. They taught me. That's where I really started get ingraining the fundamentals of success and marketing and sales and how to build a business and how to grow. Um, then I was lucky to have some international mentors, you know, such as Luke Hessler, Jamie Cheerio, Laura Green, Rob Sperry, a lot of very successful people um, who didn't necessarily like. Um, talk to me every day or they chased me or they told me what to do but it's just the peace and confidence knowing that when you when you need something in your life there's someone out there who has the answer and if you ask he will respond um, and that sort of like confidence puts you at ease with no matter what happens once again there's someone who has been where I want to be and he can answer me and help me so very useful and yeah mentors is i would say one of the fastest ways to change who you are um because the power of someone keeping you accountable who has the experience has the expertise and also has the emotional connection to kind of attach to you um is is one of the biggest factors to change um so definitely i've always seeked out mentors i constantly seek mentors um and i strongly recommend everyone goes for mentorships as well and how did you get in contact with all of these guys um, by the way, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question because I'm sure a lot of people are like, "Hey, so how do you get a mentor?" Or right, where do right. I, find a mentor, I, I right? hear that all the time too. Where's from a mentor, my own right? mentors. <laughs> um, so I always found a way to add value to these mentors. So I always made sure that it was never like, "Hey, come help me." <laughs> like the, the question is, why would they? You know. Um, so I always was thinking, what can I do that they don't do that's going to be of value to them? So they ha they have a reason to keep talking to me because I keep doing something for them, right? So with the first uh, mentor, Patrick, he was my boss, right? So he saw potential in me, he hired me, so I was working for his company. So of course the mentorship was kind of natural. Uh, with my second mentor, Sasha and Manu, it was more like um, we were working the same company and the more money I made, the more money they made. So they had an incentive behind it. So the more I worked and the more they saw me work, the more I did the client meetings, the more I, did the, I studied, the more events I attended and learned, the more presentations I did, the more they were like, oh, okay. I kept getting points, like um, invisible points, like, oh, Okay, here's a point to Mr. Oh, another point to Mr. P. Oh, he did this. Okay, right, lovely. And then next time when you ask them like, hey, can you please come help me for this? Like, of course I will because you've given me so many points before. Um, so I think the key to mentorship is about, number one, understanding what you want to do and who you want to be so you can know who you want to follow because you always want to follow people who 
are where you want to be. And after you do that, just look where can I help him with? You know, maybe he's not doing his social media right. Maybe he's not writing so well on his website. Maybe um, he has an email list that he has to manage. Maybe um, you can handle his to-do list. Maybe you can do his appointment setting. You know, maybe you can uh, do his messages. You know, there's different, or maybe you can just watch his YouTube videos and take notes and send it to them. You know, I would do this a lot. I would watch a lot of YouTube videos. I would take notes and then I would send the notes to the social media account. I'd be like, hey, wow. here's for your social media guy, for your content creator. And I would get people like... Like I remember Sharan Srivatsa, he's a billionaire. Yeah, he responded like, wow, that's amazing. Like, thank you so much, you know? Um, so it's just about always looking for ways where you can add value to these mentors and not necessarily focusing on the mentorship, but just consistently focusing, hey, I'm going to add value to this person and it will just come and it always comes back. Smart people, they know when someone is beneficial to them and they make sure that they keep those people around. Um, so you want to be that guy. That was an excellent answer, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I hope the people listening to this, they, they got the, the paper and pen ready because... <laughs> This is some prices of value right there already. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, mentorship is great. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing and I strongly recommend it. And if anyone needs some help, you're more than welcome to DM me. Uh, also, of course, Michael as well. Anyone needs any beginning steps on how to go about it, we're more than welcome to give you the formula on how you can get the mentor on the field that you're interested in because that's very important. For sure, for sure. Can you talk to us about your early professional activities such as network marketing or being an event planner, even a real estate agent, and just being an entrepreneur in general? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so I believe like most people, I, sh I suffer from, I suffered, or I, I guess I'm getting better at it, from shiny object syndrome. So over the last maybe four years, I've switched 13, 14 different jobs in my career. Um, however, though, they were always in the same industry. So I kind of knew that I was good in marketing, sales, talking to people, communication. So I switched 14 different jobs within that field. So I went from waitering to managing restaurants to real estate selling houses to doing social media marketing to selling physical products cosmetics uh, travel um, raising fun raising funds for investors um, be becoming chief in marketing positions so it was all around the same industry just different aspects of that industry um, and I kept switching every three, four, five months. I would get bored very often, you know. So I would work with a company. Um, I would add value to them. They would pay me. Uh, after four months, I was like, I, I'm tired about. I'm tired of the product. I want to do something else. Uh, so I kept doing it, changing and changing. Maybe around the last year, I've been stabilized, where I consistently do social media marketing and I'm focused on what I do. It's kind of once you try everything in your industry, you kind of understand what it is that you want to do. Um, so actually, the biggest, um, a little off topic, but maybe it can help people. Um, the biggest thing people say is like, I don't know what I want to do. Right, I don't know what I want to do, and it was the same with me. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished university, but of course you don't, because if you don't try something, it's very hard to understand how it is. It's like trying to, I don't know, trying to play chess without ever moving the pieces. So just visualizing the entire board and just playing in your mind. It's not very easy, is it? It's much easier to move the pieces. Same with work. Um, the best way to figure out if you learn something is go try something. So um, I did it sort of unconsciously, also with my mentor's help, but I tried a lot of different things within a field that I was kind of naturally good at and eventually in the process I figured out what it is that I want to do and want to focus on. Would you say that you were naturally gifted in this field or were there things you really had to uh, learn? Yeah, so I think it sort of came from the fact that um, this might be a little personal but um, I never really felt that I had the love I wanted from my father when I was growing up. Like I never heard him say I love you or good job and these were words that never came out of his mouth so I felt that I kind of sort of um, had this lack to always prove myself and always want to feel, feel love growing up. Um, so I retreated back into computer games. So, you know, when I was an online guy, I went 
in the online world. I would pay 24-7 and I sort of build connections in the online world. And I started networking there and talking to teams and understanding how to how to um, work with a team in order to win the game. And I started building a lot of emotional connection with these people online. Um, and what happened is the lack I had when I was a kid from my family, I sort of seeked it with my friends and with my professional work. Um, so it gave me sort of like this innate, uh, not innate, but like um, this desire to constantly connect with people and, and get on a deeper level because I didn't have it. You had to compensate for the lack of love. I had to compensate for, for it, exactly. Um, so actually looking back at it, uh, the trage tragedies in sorts I had, um, and then I became becoming my biggest blessing. Um, it became my biggest skill set, and it became to the point where it's a it became a natural thing where I naturally just want to connect and talk to people and get to understand them and know how to help them. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say it was natural. I would say it was the fact that growing up, I didn't experience the love I wanted to experience. But then again, nothing is really natural. All the natural things come in the first 12 years of your uh, life, right? So right. everything kind of sort of comes from parents uh, or early environment. But right. that, so in a way, yes. Um, and in a way, no, I guess. Oh, that, that's a great yeah. assessment. And you knew that right from the start when you were struggling with that, that lack of love, how to deal with this. You already knew as a younger person back then that it it is a problem and it could be a problem also going forward. Um, no, actually. So I learned it at the age of 21. I went to a spiritual oh, seminar. Okay. Um, and I was with uh, a couple of friends. Um, you know, one of the two of them, Manu and Daniela. Um, we were at a spiritual seminar and we did this exercise about going back into your past and feeling past emotions and how you were growing up and closing your eyes and feeling the feeling of when you were a kid and different experiences where you had different traumas um and that started getting me in the process of like hey i'm feeling weird blockages in here like this doesn't feel right like every time i think about my childhood or like certain moments i feel sadness and fear so that got me in the process of there's some trauma that i gotta start working on um, and from 21 to 23, I got much more into spirituality and I started understanding who I am and why I'm that way. And that's when I understood how I had developed in the way that I had developed. Um, and it's most of the time you look at things in hindsight. So you look back and that's when it clicks. It usually doesn't click at the moment. Um, <laughs> but trusting the universe unconsciously uh, always kind of works things out, I guess. Yeah. Beautiful, man. You're also active in the cryptocurrency space. Talk to us about that. And for those who don't know what cryptocurrency is, can you maybe briefly explain what it is? Mm -hmm. Of course. So cryptocurrency is a form of virtual money or virtual payment method that's backed or that's built upon a platform called blockchain. And blockchain is very simply put a means of communicating or exchanging information between two different um, parties or individuals without the need of a third person checking in and making sure everything's okay. So a very simple example is, let's say I wanna send money to you, right? So I'm gonna to go to the bank, um, I'm gonna send, I'm gonna give them cash, and you know, then they will make the bank transfer to you, or I'm gonna do it through Digicash or Spooker's app or some sort of banking application, and then the bank will transfer the money to you. Now, in this process, it's not directly me to you. There's a third person in the middle called the bank that comes in and makes sure that, hey, the money was sent from Pericles, to Michael and that everything went okay and there's no process of um, misinformation. Um, so what blockchain does, it simply allows you to have these peer-to-peer -peer transactions from me to you without the need of a bank. So right. with decentralized, a, decentralized, exactly. So with a, with the power of coding and creating the right piece of code, you can verify that um, something has happened in the world without the need of someone watching it. Um, 
So it allows simply the put of faster transactions, easier transactions, and most importantly, you don't trust your money in banks, which as we all know, if you're familiar with what's happening in the world, especially in my case in Greece, uh, back in 2015, I remember I couldn't pull out my money from ATM. So I was in Greece, I wanted to travel, I wanted to go back to my summer house. Uh, there was a line from the ATM from here to like two kilometers and you couldn't get money out. You get 60 years a day, the bank was like, sorry, we've, we have no more money, so we can't give you your money, you know? So, and, and the world is currently other scenarios like Venezuela, where they have no money, you know? So blockchain really allows you to have a secondary financial system where there's no way that the that the, that the technology crashes down like it does with banks. So that's a bit of a cryptocurrency, a complicated topic. Uh, however, I got involved in it um, two years ago, uh, January 2018. Um, I met this big investor, um, big American investor who was a friend of a friend and he invested in a lot of cryptocurrencies. <laughs> I remember back then he, man, he was very successful. He had invested in over 155 different companies in cryptocurrency. Ooh. Um, when I looked at his portfolio, it was at 17, 16 million dollars worth of portfolio. He was 24 years old. Uh, what? He was 24? Yeah, he, he was an unbelievable man. Very smart, went to Harvard. He was a tech tech person, so he understood all the coins from a technical perspective. Um, and he, he joined the market very early. He joined in 2012. And we became friends uh, for the simple reason that once again, he was one of my mentors too, actually. He needed someone to invest to help him invest through European companies because he didn't have access. So we sort of did this together and he would invest through me uh, through a mutual agreement where I would invest the money for him and keep a percentage on it. And we kept this relationship going till today, actually. We talked uh, we talked a week ago. And he was the one to first introduce me to my first company. He sent an email to one of his investments. He was like, hey, this guy does marketing. He's very good. I applied. Um, and then I moved to San Francisco for a little bit, worked in my first company, uh, moved to San Singapore after, worked in the second company as a marketing officer. And then came back to Luxembourg, picked up my third company, which is still my company today, uh, VNX. And since then, I'm working actively in the crypto space. Um, and it's a wonderful industry. I firmly believe in it. And it's something that I sincerely believe will change the world, just not as fast as people think. That's the only thing. Um, disruptive technologies don't take five years to implement. Social internet was invented in the 1990s. It's 2020, and only now we see the big impact of the internet. And I think blockchain is going to be a similar case, where it was invented 10 years ago, People think it's going to hit now. Probably will take another 10 to 20 years till it really starts um, changing our lives in a way where it's more simple, efficient, and fast. Yeah, I just wanted to ask that uh, your take on the future of mm -hmm. cryptocurrency because you, you have both sides. When, when I listen to all these uh, moguls and, and gurus or whatever, you have those who have no trust at all in it and then you have the others who say that it's the future. So that is also something... What would you say to people who are not really, who don't really trust it right now? Mm -hmm. I look at things from a very logical perspective. Um, it's a great question because there's a lot of people with, who are skeptics, including myself when I first heard about it. <clears throat> um, however, I'm a very logical person. I look at things from a logical perspective. And uh, I'd say the first thing is if you just take a step back and you look at what current companies are doing, uh, when it comes to blockchain cryptocurrency, you'll, you'll literally just see every big company that has a blockchain department, they're developing some kind of blockchain solution, um, they're working on a coin, they either have a partnership with a company. So it's reached a point where it's where the people who are actively working in big positions in companies all know that it's a thing. Um, however, it, it's still too early um, for it to come to use. So it's still in, in development in better period. Um, so for example, you know, Facebook has, if you go on LinkedIn and you just type blockchain Facebook, 
there's over a hundred employees in the blockchain department of Facebook. You know, <laughs> it's like they really they they announced our coin, the Chinese cryptocurrency. Like up now, there's like this battle between the Chinese Facebook and the um, the government Chinese Facebook and the R and the coin of Facebook. Uh, but nobody really knows about it. But also, China has like two hundred employees coding and working on a cryptocurrency. So when you look at industry news, you see too many big players building blockchain solutions, no matter the industry they're in. So that's a big tell off that something is happening. The second tell off is just logical. I mean. If you look at how um, communication was, you know, before the internet came, um, communication was owned by the large, big private companies. So whoever had the biggest television company, whoever had the biggest newspaper company, right. yeah. whoever had the biggest um, publishing um, agency was the one who decided what the rest of the world would learn. There was no phones, there was no social media, you couldn't tweet or Instagram or put a Facebook post out. You only learned information about what happens in the world from a few select private companies. Complete bollocks, right? And that's why everything was um, biased and there was propaganda. And eventually the internet came out and decentralized information. Mm -hmm. So suddenly mm -hmm. anyone could share information with anyone in the world. And I think money is at a very similar curve, where at the moment money is being issued and controlled only by a few select instruments in the world called big banks and uh, Central the, banks the Federal and, Reserve and like yeah. whoever creates those, mainly the national banks and the printing, the money, the, the, the buildings that print the money, uh, Federal Reserve in the America. They're the ones that control money and decide the price of it. You know, last year the dollar was inflated 6.3%. They just printed too much money. Um, so they really control what the rest of us have in our hands as value. And I think it will just come to a point where money will be open to everyone and accessible to everyone. And you'll be able to own and create different types of money. That gets a little um, into the form of tokens. However, money won't be controlled by a single entity. It will be controlled by everyone who's participating in the network, what we call network effects. Um, social media has a very powerful network effects where each user adds value to each user. Um, and I think the money, the economic system is going to go a very similar path as communication did. It's just a logical way of uh, moving things forward. Mm -hmm. And you've had the opportunity to connect with and you are actually still connected with a number of rich and wealthy people. Speaking from your own experience, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about money and rich people? <clears throat> so the biggest misconception I see amongst my friends is that these people are lucky or they were born with something or they have this also in myself, you know, like you're also unconscious programming that goes like, oh, he's lucky, you know, like, oh, he's born focused or his dad was very focused. So no wonder he's so focused, you know, like from a young age, he, he, I mean, he lifted bricks and from six years old to 12 years old, like no wonder he's working all day. And a lot of people just think that um, they, uh, they give their power away to something called luck. Um, and that is very far from true. These people that usually succeed Sometimes, yes, they do have a natural characteristic that maybe their father taught them at a young age or their mom taught them at a young age, but everything, like they're in this world, we live in a world of duality. Everything good comes with something bad. There's never just this great thing, but no negative. Uh, so when you're very good at something, usually you're very bad at something else. Um, so the people who are very successful, they had some skills that they either developed themselves or someone else helped them develop. Um, However, they had to work on their weaknesses and what they do bad and they had to f put their hands down and, and focus and go make it happen no matter the obstacles or no matter their path. Um, and yeah, personally, I just don't like giving my power away. I believe that anything that you can work on yourself um, is a blessing because the universe gave it to you for a specific purpose for you to work on. 
and mastering yourself is one of the biggest um biggest joys i have on a daily basis like oh what can i what can i do tomorrow that's gonna make me better you know and i think that's just the process of thinking that um i think it's 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 important for your self-growth and i think i don't really look too much into other successful people you know how they got lucky or how they did this uh, it's it doesn't matter you know it's like everyone has his own path and you look at yours and everything is possible you know so right <laughs> what, what do you think about people who say are oh, rich people are just greedy or money doesn't grow on trees money is the root of all evil what is your take on, on your take on that just bad programming so that usually happens um i used to have i, I still I, I would say i still have money money blockages i think many people have money blockages um that's just bad programming so from the age of zero to the age of 12 our entire brain is in this sort of what we call a theta delta stage so that means that that's the stage of brain waves you get when you're sleeping um so now when we're older we're mainly in beta you know low beta mid beta high beta um theta we only get pretty much when we sleep or we can go into alpha which is a bit more sleepy when you're um when you're watching movies but in general we're pretty much awake after the age of 12 years old but from the age of zero to the age of 12 even though we're awake and conscious, our brain is still in this sort of like dreamy state. So what and highly suggestible and highly suggestible state, exactly. Um, so what happens is every sort of piece of information that goes in your brain from the age of zero to the age of twelve, just sort of directly goes into your unconscious program. So if, for example, you grew up in a family where money is not appreciated, or your mom constantly speaks about how she doesn't have enough money, or how we don't have money to buy this fruit, or we can't buy these gifts, or Christmas coming up, you know, we can only get you up to fifty years of of present. That sort of statement done by your mom dad sister to you at the age of zero to 12 becomes an unconscious program which then for therefore uh, later on in life manifests as a belief and therefore no matter how much you try to keep money or you try to change who you are um, you always go back to your old unconscious programs um, so looking back at your question those beliefs that we have is just unconscious programming that stops us from making money and if you look at wealthy people you know the ones that grew up in a bit more successful families but not just wealthy you know they have a lot of money they don't work for it but a family where they have a lot of money because they work for it they grew up with beliefs such as you know there's you can do anything you want in your life you know you can become anyone you want to be there's unlimited money as long as you're willing to work for it and do the right thing and having those beliefs at a young age sort of better programs you for success than if you don't now once again having those beliefs puts you with disadvantages you know often these people have trouble connecting with the real world they have trouble like um, leading people because they're so disconnected from everyone else so everything comes with a disadvantage and advantages uh, so i look at those beliefs i look at those beliefs such as money doesn't grow on trees and rich people are greedy as just negative programming that i received and many other received unconsciously and not on purpose at a young age and it's something that uh, we work on uh, to remove i would say absolutely it's, it starts with the programming and also speaking from my own experience because i had a lot of uh, negative programming as far as money you know i grew up in a pretty humble and modest household so that was never really the, the topic Congo, the right? subject i can imagine how it was <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, but uh, having very loving though I, I, I very say. very loving very I loving like my parents Africans are, the best, are known for their much, love <laughs> nothing but love nothing but love that's beautiful and, and i'm actually very grateful that uh, it everything happened that way it had to go that way it's a uh, learning experience mm -hmm. but yeah these past years having um the ability uh, to to connect with uh, rich and wealthy people i realized that a lot of my programming was pretty much wrong mm -hmm. that is wrong and i realized that many of them most of them that i got to interact with 
were some of the kindest and most generous mm -hmm. person and intelligent person mm -hmm. I ever met in my entire life. Was that also pretty much the same for yes. you? I would say that most of them, most of the ones I interacted as well. Of course, there's always exceptions, you know, the ones who step on others and they're greedy and they're sharks and because uh, I had bad experiences like that. Um, however, the vast majority, um, the ones who are long-term successful, because you can have short-term success if you're greedy, um, if you're bad with people, if you step on people, that might give you money for a while. But from a universal perspective and a karmic perspective, it always comes back to you uh, from my experience. Um, so the few, the most of the ones I've interacted with are pretty giving. They're, they have this sort of like mindset of abundance, you know. So they're willing mm. to like give you information. They're willing to help you, teach you, guide you. Um, but you gotta show that um, you deserve it. So you gotta put in the work, whatever the work is, at that specific right. time. And they will, they will be, they will open their hearts to you. They don't give freebies. That's that's the thing. <laughs> You're not gonna get like, hey, how do I make here's a thousand dollars? You know, like it doesn't work like that. But you if work you, for it. Too. If you yeah. prove yourself. You can have anything you want from these people. And would you say that money only amplifies more of who you are? Mm -hmm. So if you're a person with great values, you'll be giving more back. But if you're more of a negative-minded person and you step on other people, then it will only make you more of a negative person. I would say so. I see money as a tool, right? Money is a tool that allows you to do, to do more things, buy more things, be more things. Um, so it, exactly as you said, it amplifies sort of what you already do i mean if you're thinking negative the whole day if you're if you if you want to do drugs or you want to do i don't know you want to waste your time and party and like go out and and focus on things that you don't actually want to focus but you're still focusing and you have and you suddenly receive a lot of money either from your work or from the lottery or whatever i think you will just do more of what you already do because you now have the tools to do more of that um, so really money is just an amplifier because it allows you to buy things and do things in the field that you're already currently interested in. Now it can happen that you you do something you really hate um, and then you receive a lot of money and then you completely change. But if you don't go back, if you don't actually change the unconscious programming, the fundamental beliefs, you'll go back to the old you. So at the end of the day, money always kind of like is a tool that uh, pushes who you already are. Mm -hmm. I would say that. Right. And t Tony Robbins also talks about it, that it's not <clears throat> money that we're striving for. It's not that, that paper or these numbers on these computers. It's what it can do for us, help mm -hmm. us with, for example, having the choice or having more security or helping out your loved ones or just um, doing some, some charity work. And I think that, that that is our focus. We should put more of our focus on that and not just the... The, the, the currency itself mm -hmm. yeah money is a tool for freedom money is just a tool that allows you to have choices and have choices it, yeah. it, it expands your choice like you wake up let's say you have 100 euros in your day and you have to go to a job how many choices do you have as to what you're going to do 24 hours maybe you have two choices you know I'm going to go to work buy lunch and then after lunch <laughs> I'm going to buy dinner and go home because that's it you know you wake up you don't have a job because you have 100,000 in your bank account how many choices do you have oh you have suddenly you can do 20,000 different things so money is really a tool that opens up your 24 hours into something more that you could have had before uh, however, it has to be, in my opinion, it has to come in a way where it's earned. Otherwise, um, you'll end up most likely making choices which are not good for the long term. Most definitely. Most likely. But that's, that's a skill for itself too. being able to manage mm -hmm. money. You see with all these lottery winners who go broke again. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Right. And it, it's a skill for itself. Managing money is a definitely a hard skill set. Um, personally, it's not one of my masters. I do spend a lot of money, I have to say um however it's something that you improve with age so the more 
money flows in your bank account and the more you use money and spend money and use money and spend money like with everything else the more experience you have or something uh the better you become at it so the more the older i get the better i become at managing money so it's a process that i don't um i don't beat myself up too much um mm-hmm. as i used to i'm like yeah the, be- the more the better i get the older i get the better i get the more money i make you know so i just manage it better it's just a natural process you get in the habit of it right by the way what is the best advice you've ever gotten from one of your mentors I don't know if it's the best advice in general, but it was the best advice for my journey at the time I heard it. So it was more of a, it was not necessarily this life-changing piece of sentence, but it's something that at the time just really helped me make the right decision. Um, And that was Patrick. So we're back at 18 and a half years old. Um, I'm about to quit university. I had just finished my interview with Patrick. I haven't started a job yet. Um, and he drove me home, he drives me home. And I remember before the interview, I had already told my girlfriend at the time, my friends, my mom, my uncles, my grandma, you know, like, hey, I might quit university to go get a job. <laughs> um, and you can imagine, of course, the, the <laughs> resentment, you know, I come from an old conservative family in Greece. Um, they came to Luxembourg, you know, to have their kids a good life, to university. And now here I am quitting university. So um, I had a lot of resentment and, and fight towards what I wanted to do. And I was very, very lost like whether I should take the job or not take the job you know take the job not take the job take the job not take the job university go make money go do what I want and I remember just this constant battle between my heart and like my brain um and also I would not make I would not get any money from my parents anymore I would be independent and I remember I was in the car he Patrick drove me we finished the interview he said it was a great interview his assistants were very happy the vice president as well and he drove me home and we had this great conversation and I remember just before I left so just before I opened the door and I left I said Patrick, if you were in my shoes, what would you do? What advice would you give me? You know, I had already told him about, maybe I'm not gonna be able to take the job because of my family. (laughs) Um, And he said, he calmly replied, well, the advice I would give you would be to not take advice from anyone. And hearing that from someone who's that successful in this industry, you know, who works with Mastercard, who's the private agency of Mastercard, someone who's really made it, telling you to follow your intuition, um, that sort of gave me the confidence I needed to like trust him, trust the universe and go, just go for it. And I went for it, you know, and uh, I, it was, I got a lot of trouble. My girlfriend <laughs> break up with, broke up with me. It was a lot of fight sure. and everything, um, but it worked out perfectly at the end. So that was the best of advice I ever received. And it was the fact that it came from someone who was very successful. So I took his words to like, as they were the Bible. So he said it, I was like, he has everything I want in my life. I follow it. Um, so yeah, it was mainly because of the fact of I had, I was listening to someone who had exactly what I want. So mm. it wasn't necessarily mm. what he said, but it's the fact that it was someone that I, I wanted his life so badly um, that no matter what came out of his mouth, just was the Bible for me. And I just listened to it. Right. It's very important to make sure that we listen to the right people. And uh, KT always talks about it. He talks about um, that it's important to listen to, ultimately to yourself, to intuition, but uh, also to those who have been where you are, those who have what you want. Uh, because many people make the mistakes that we to listen people, to the right, right to the wrong people exactly like you're skilled in I don't like know, myself you're, too you're skilled in arts you're skilled in drawing and you're listening to your dad who's um, I don't know um, a, a financial analyst on what to do with your life how, right. how, how is he supposed to know he hasn't done your path so he can't give you <laughs> right. applicable advice right. um, so yeah definitely listening to people who are the right ones by 
you do you knowing what you want and going after them yeah um is much more important than the actual piece of advice i would say okay let, let's make sure we take care of the dog right now he wants i guess he wants to talk yeah, a little bit too <laughs> let's just see what he needs <laughs> our good guy luigi very excited Now, let's get to your TEDx talks. Sure. You did one in English mm -hmm. and one in French. And before we talk specifically about both these talks, can you tell us about the process and the behind the scenes of uh, TEDx and how does that work and how do you even get picked up for mm -hmm. it? Sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, of course. So actually, I remember the first TED talk I did. Um, I was in. I was doing a business present. I was selling products, and I was doing a business presentation um, in a university in Surrey, England. And uh, the presentation went pretty well. And the, one of the people in the audience was the TEDx president of that university. So she came up to me after the event. She was like, "Hey, you know, you're a great speaker. I loved your story. Um, would you like to to speak in our TED talk? I'm the TEDx president." I'm like, "Oh." Well, you know, I'm kind of super busy lately. I kind of got to check with my assistant. <laughs> I was like, of course, I want to speak in a TED talk. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I did my first one. It was great. Um, then she connected me to, she called me about a few, six months after. She was like, hey, um, a university that I'm working with, they're looking for um, another speaker. Can you do it in French? I said, well, we can work it out. And the second one, I got a coach. So he helped me a lot. He told me this script. I paid for a coach. He, uh, it was much more um, a team effort. So the way it actually works, so TEDx is part of TED. So TED is the largest online conference uh, and offline conference. Actually, maybe not the largest offline, but definitely the largest online um, public speaking conference platform and or YouTube channel. Depends where you watch them. Um, and they have a subdivision called TEDx. So they allow people in different countries or cities in the world to host their own privately organized TED event. Uh, so it's all volunteer bases. There's, vo there's about depending on the TEDx, but between 20 and 50 volunteer team. Uh, it's a large group. Okay. And either they invite speakers, so they're actively headhunting for different speakers depending on what topic they have, or you can apply. So they announce, hey, we have a TED Talk coming up um, X date. We need four speakers. Please send your applications here. So then you can send your speech. They will invite you if they like your speech. Uh, they'll watch you live, and then they'll go, you'll go through a selection process where you get decided whether you're going to do the TED Talk or not. Um, so there's two ways. Either you get invited or you apply and you go the normal route. Okay. Yeah. And um, what are the conditions as far as the time limits or the, the, even the spacing in the room? Mm -hmm. Also the content uh, itself. Are there any specific requirements, conditions? So the time limit is 18 minutes. You cannot go above 18 minutes. That's a TEDx rule because they say that the human attention span is up to 18 minutes. After 18 <laughs> yeah. minutes, they drop rapidly, so they don't allow that. Now, in terms of the setting, how much you can move, what you talk about, it's all very dependent on the event and who you are. Um, the one rule of thumb that I learned through my experience in it is do not make it about you. Make it about something um, practical and universal that everyone can apply. So make sure it's not like a normal presentation, you know, where you tell your story for 12 minutes and then and then you kind of like use it. It's more like um, like a presentation where you're just generally like quickly tell your story, you establish credibility, and then you go into all like value helping and teaching and theory and and helping people leave with something valuable out of it. Um, so that would be the only thing I would be conscious of is if you are to ever do a TED talk, don't make it about you. 
Oh, I love it, man. That was great. That was great. <laughs> I hope uh, one day I get the chance to do it too. I mean, I just watched both of your TED Talks again today and it was even better than I had in memory. So credit to you for that, for, for real. I appreciate it. A lot of work from many people, especially on the second one, um, was a team effort. And yeah, thank you. I'm not sure you will. If you want it truly in your mind and you pursue it, you can have everything you want, Michael. <laughs> appreciate it, bro. <laughs> and were you nervous or would you say that you are more of a quote-unquote again natural speaker and it felt more like excitement oh man i was so nervous <laughs> <laughs> i was so nervous i was really really nervous no public speaking is like a thing where no matter how much you do um the nervousness feeling never goes away um i guess you just learn how to work with it better and understand it's part of the process um, basically what's helped me a lot is that every time i open my mouth on stage the nervousness goes away immediately so as soon as i'm on stage and the first sentence comes out i know that my nervousness just completely vanishes um and for most people it actually does so I, i'm knowing that just always puts me in the state of my i know it will go away you know like relax it will go away it will go away as soon as i open my mouth um so yeah i was very nervous i remember um i remember my first tattoo as soon as i finished i was like i felt like this humongous like relief relief and i just lay down i put some lay down on a box you know, like this this event like in event companies like um they have these black boxes which they carry a lot of different materials and they're made from like very high quality materials so it doesn't break they have this big box uh, full of music equipment and i just lay down on it and i was like put my headphones on i was like <laughs> i'm out of here for the next 10 minutes i'll be back when i'm fully functioning again no it was super cool and i can't sleep the night before i pee pee a lot um before the talks <laughs> got went to the bathroom like five times or something in like 20 minutes were you um, sweating too sorry were you sweating too a lot of sweat um not sweating just a lot okay. of peeping so i'm, I'm before <laughs> a big talk i end up going to the bathroom like several times <laughs> um, it's the nervous system you know just kind of clearing things out now i was right. very nervous very very nervous um however the more the nervousness is okay as long as you're prepared because you understand it's part of the process when you're nervous and you're not prepared that's when it kind of like fear comes in and kicks you in and you're just drowning uh, but because it's a ted talk i mean you don't do a ted talk if you're not gonna prepare um so i was very prepared for both so the nervousness was was kind of like excitement you could say yeah it was yeah. sort of like building up into excitement because of the preparation that was backing it up right but and i was hell of a nervous <laughs> Yeah, especially for a, a confident guy like you, it um, it's kind of refreshing to hear that you still get nervous in these kind of events, and it it makes you more human and re relatable, you know. Mm -hmm. Everyone everyone feels fear. I mean, right. for different things. However, the more you do something, the more you get accustomed to the fear, and the more you can work with it instead of let it overcome overwhelm you. Um, so just a part of understanding the process and understanding that fear is a natural part of the process. When we don't know something, fear is there. Um, the way you remove fear is through knowing something. Um, if you know something, you cannot be afraid of it. Like we're afraid of the dark because we don't know what's in the dark. Um, we're not afraid of the light because we see in the light, right? So there is a difference between knowingness and unknowingness. Um, so you can remove fear through knowingness. How do you achieve knowingness? Through repetitive practice over and over and over again. You get accustomed with the thing that you're practicing and then fear slowly vanishes. Um, and as you said, that when you're very prepared, it becomes excitement. It really turns into excitement. Fear turns into excitement because you just know it's just part of the process, part of the routine. And you know that you're going to do it one more time and it will come and it will all be smooth and it will be perfect at the end. Well said, man. Well said. <laughs> And your talk, your talk in English was being other, not a microwave. Talk to us about that, and also the concept of randomly lying down in public spaces. What is all of this about? Sure. 
um, when I was to 19, 20 years old, um, maybe uh, maybe a lot of the audience is familiar. I met this guy called Jérôme Jarre. Um, who's a, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, I know who it so is. So when yeah. I worked at the Cannes Film Festival, with, you met him. He was one of the private guests of the partner of uh, of Hyundai or something. But the massacre style was next to it, so he came there. He was a guest and everything. And I was watching from far away. And I was like, wow, I was a big fan of the band. And I talked to him, and he talked to me a lot about comfort zone and like love. And I was following his blog as well and like his YouTube videos. And I just sort of started associating. Um, growth with the overcoming of fear so every time there's fear and you overcome it it's a part of you that grows um, and from the young age of personal development i was sort of hooked to growing myself um, so he was a big fan of he had the story of how he would go in the busy street of paris and he would just lie down in the middle you know like people would just walk around and he would just be laying down on the floor <laughs> just chilling there for a couple of minutes then he would stand up and go and he did this because every time he thought about laying down the fear of what other people would think of him of how they would judge him of what they um of what they would do when he was laying down gave him this big butterflies in his chest that stopped him from doing it um however every time he did it anyways it was his body and soul and mind that was having a fear and then proving it that it was not real. So the act of doing that over and over and over again, sort of like overcoming yourself, overcomes yourself. You grow, you are, you expand your comfort zone. Um, so it was, it's many things, you know, like, so, cause when you do it with the many things, it also applies with the big things. So if you consistently lay down on the street because it scares you, or you consistently, um, I don't know, say hi to strangers on the street or you smile at them. Um, and you on a daily basis, your brain gets used to the fact that it's overcoming fear and fear is an illusion. And then when the big thing comes and there's a big job offer and you're going to be promoted to, I don't know, like head of sales and you're not sure if you can do it and you feel the fear is like the brain knows we go through it. Um, so I started laying down on the street a lot. I would, I, I would go in the big shopping mall in Luxembourg or Sean, I would just lay down in the middle for like <laughs> five minutes, 10 minutes. People would walk by, they would look at me strange. And I was like, it was super peaceful actually when you're down. Um, it's just the initial process of laying down that's hard. And then I would do it a lot in different cities and different places. And I was part of this group that was doing it and they would send selfies of that. Um, and I started doing other things, you know, approaching strangers or lifting my hands up on the air in, <laughs> in, 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 the, in the bus, or I would uh, scream a lot in public or dance a lot or, or sing a lot. Um, so the whole point of that is to show our brains that fear is just an illusion and that we can do things that it doesn't think we can do. And when we do that over and over again, we're slowly expanding our comfort zone. So the comfort, the, what's comfortable for us keeps increasing and increasing. And that kind of goes into the concept of be an oven, not a microwave, which is looking at things from a short, or it's a different topic, but in, in short, looking at things from a shorter, from looking at things Oh, looking at the small things like the big things so don't not necessarily focusing on like hey i gotta make a million dollars or hey i gotta get this big job is like how about i just smile to this person that's vibrating good energy in front of me in the bus or how about i say an extra thank you or um i ask an extra question for no reason to the person working in mcdonald's just to initiate conversation or how about i lead another street right here because i'm scared of it and i want to overcome my fear um so by focusing on the little activities that we have throughout our day uh, we're teaching our brain and programming it the right way to take on the big activities that will come later in our life thus be an oven not a microwave go the slow way like ovens cook quickly microwaves cook very fast um, so looking at things on the long term and just going after the little things. That was a great one. I mean, I can only recommend it to other people to watch this talk. 
And again, it goes to show that you can only grow outside of your comfort zone, right? So <laughs> the, 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 well, the good quote is, your, um, your life begins where your comfort zone ends. Right. That's the, that's Damn the, right. And it's true. I mean, you feel alive outside of your comfort zone. Like the things that make that stop our breath or the, the feelings that we get in our heart or our chest, you know, those butterfly moments, they're very rarely in our comfort zone. It's usually moments that are outside of our comfort zone. So we might as well just start showing our brain that hey we're gonna want we're gonna go after those moments and we're gonna have more of those so if you want to keep giving me more i'll take them you know i'm ready for them and i think that's very very important for um growth and happiness absolutely man absolutely and what about the second one in french it was don't listen to me the title of it mm -hmm. now i said english <laughs> of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you tell us uh, what that was about yeah so don't listen to me i was going through this ego phase where i was understanding that i had a um I had an ego that was kind of like running loose and that I was doing all these things. And I was sort of in the process of like, hey, you know, maybe I'm not the right person to go get a, give advice, you know, because you should always be, listen to people who have what you want. Uh, so I kind of realized that maybe if they listen to me, I'm not necessarily the right person they should listen to. So I kind of created a talk. I created this talk together with my coach. So I had a coach, a public speaking coach who guided me through the entire process. So he told me one step by step how to create a talk, how the topics, how to speak it, how to stand, all the different things. So we created a talk that was more focused on um, how on my story, but in a way where it just lets people kind of like take practical advice from it without necessarily focusing too much on what I've accomplished or what was done before. Just really like personal stories. So it was just a bunch of um, a personal story. And the, the, the whole message of it was that um, my life changed when I listened to Patrick's advice, which was not listen to anyone um, and just trusting myself and trusting the universe and trusting that everything always works out at the end whenever you have the trust to do what you, your soul wants you to do and you know what your soul wants you to do about how, by how you feel about things, um, by how you truly feel within you. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, they say that uh, a thousand books is not worth one hour in silence. You know, at the end of the day, all the answers we need, everything um everything that's coming for us all the decisions we're gonna make it's all within you know like everything if we truly spend time in silence and we connected to who we are everything would be revealed to us through how we feel about things um so the topic of the talk was don't listen to me because you should listen to you um so I, yeah it was a fun talk i really enjoyed it and i hope people learned uh, quite a bit from it too i love it man couldn't have said it any better it was definitely <laughs> i appreciate it. it was a cool talk um it was a cool. Now I actually organize. So um, now I do the social, the, the ticket sales and the social media for uh, Luxembourg, the next Luxembourg. Um, so it's very fun to see it from the back end. And now I get to uh, help people give their talks and we have some phenomenal speakers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, so TEDx is a wonderful um, initiative that was started many years ago. And it's something I fully believe in. And it's always been a dream to be involved in it. So I'm very happy that I get to do it. Um, and now that we can help other people come on stage and speak. Right. So maybe we could potentially do something together in the wow, future. Wow, yeah, that would be awesome, man. Yes. <laughs> Completely getting out of my comfort zone. Yes. And that talk in particular, I feel like I could relate to it. Because sometimes I one? still... Yeah, the second one. Mm -hmm. As far as... Sometimes I do not feel comfortable giving advice. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not necessarily the person who has what the other person wants. Or who has been where the other person is. And sometimes the, also the ego comes in place, into place with all this mm -hmm. social media stuff mm -hmm. and everything going on. Sometimes it, it's pretty tough to, to tone it down, tone it down, tone down the ego and tell people that sh they should listen to themselves first, ultimately, their intuition and to people who really, really have the expertise and who have what? 
the person who's asking actually wants. So yeah, it's it's pretty tough to to find that kind of harmony. Uh, are there any advices you would give? It's a constant battle. It's a constant battle. <laughs> Even for me, you know, because like we all have an ego. Ego is very, yeah. and it's impossible. It's very hard not to have an ego because everything that puts you, that attaches you to the world, to this physical world, creates a personality for you. Like I'm Pericles. I'm 23 years old. You know, I live in this place. I go to this university. I have this phone. I have these speakers. I have this laptop. All that creates a personality. And ego is just your personality. So um, your personality a bit on a bit too full of himself. That's kind of like put it like that. Um, so everyone has an ego. So it's a constant constant um, battle that we constantly all do um, it's important to be conscious of it though I think the first step is to be conscious of it because many people are not conscious um, so and I think the most important step is being conscious because actually killing your ego is not something that's going to happen in a day you know it's a long process of decades <laughs> and decades and decades so I'd say as long as you're conscious on it and you keep working it over and over and over again um, you just get better and better and better and better and what has helped me um, the most when it comes to calming my ego down and being careful of what I say is when I catch myself and I can remind myself on time I ask myself am I saying am I saying this to build my ego or am I saying this because I truly want to help the person in front of me yes. and that question over and over again asking it at the right time and it keeps coming to me throughout the day uh, depending on how many people I interact with um, just asking that question just puts you back into the conscious state of like hey is this ego or is this I want to help someone and every time you catch yourself, is it ego? You can ask yourself, like, do I really have to say it? Or is it better left unsaid? Maybe it's better left unsaid. Like, maybe he doesn't care that I made, like, X amount of money last month. Or maybe he doesn't care that I did this and I did that. So maybe I, sh I should just focus on what actually is applicable to him right now. Um, so just this conscious process of asking yourself, trying to catch yourself before you write, especially with the writing world, with social media, because... A lot of the ego gets amplified through texting because it's the same thing. And with writing, we have more of a chance to actually stop ourselves because it's not like speaking where you're just flowing. When you're sending a text, you have the chance to review it. Um, so when we're sending texts and we're speaking to people, perhaps just a quick thought, ego or value? Ego or value? Just having this quick note in your head, ego or value? Is it ego or value? This helps me get better and better and better at it. But it's a working process just like for everyone else, of course. Man, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Really, really appreciate it. That's <laughs> something that was pretty much needed in uh, that phase in my life. <laughs> Let's say that. My pleasure. It's helped, it's helped me a lot as well. Um, I got it from Ego's the Enemy, Ryan Holiday. Great book. Yeah, Great yeah. I see I got to read this book. Great book. It yeah. talks a lot about how the ego is a different, how the ego works and how it's a different part of you and how it runs you and um, how the key to life is mastering your ego. Master your right. ego and the things will come to you. Because here's the thing. Um, now we can go a bit into, we're going to go into spirituality. The more ego you are, the more of you you are, the more ego you are, the more you see the world from your perspective because you are you. And really the world is not what it is. It's really who you are because who you are is how you see the world. Like you see the world through your lenses. Um, so the more of you you are, the more ego you are, the more you think of yourself, the more you're going to see the world from your own glasses. And what happens is there's a very big chance that your glasses are not the best glasses that are out there or the most accurate glasses or maybe there's um there's um you want to you want to expand your horizons so in order to do that um the the more the less of the more you work on your ego the more you can start becoming uh, no one and when you become no one that's how you eventually you move to you know connecting to everyone and becoming everyone and loving everyone so it's a process of like the more you work on your ego the more uh the less you think of you the, so actually let me rephrase that so i think the more you work on your ego 
what happens is the more you give up to God and something else and like a universal source and the less you credit yourself. So you end up achieving certain things in your life or doing certain things. And instead of saying like, hey, look at me, I'm like so great for doing this <laughs> job or like I did a fantastic job at this interview right here. And you start giving it up to God. You start going like, thank you so much. You know, you were so beautiful for helping me speaking to God now for helping me deliver this interview at a great level thank you for this opportunity thank you for my work thank you for this food on my table thank you for increasing my salary and telling my boss to like value me more thank you for giving me these blessings um, and it just puts you more of a state of gratitude and that allows you to like change your lenses um, if that makes sense man that was deep <laughs> I really didn't expect that that was wow thank you thank you for sharing that thank you to the universe with us like that I'm coming from you that is 100% authentic. <laughs> Thank you to the universe. And talk to us about the concept of the one thing principle. Mm. You know, I remember you telling me about this and I've actually applied it several times mm -hmm. over this year. So again, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. It has really helped me a lot. It's a very powerful concept. Can you tell us about that? Sure, great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so the one thing principle actually comes from an author called Gary Keller. He owned. The, he still owns the largest real estate agency in America, Keller Williams Realty, with over 155,000 agents. And he built it up from Pareto. Pareto was an Italian economist who invented the 80-20 principle back in the 70s and 60s. And the way he did it was that he noticed that, um, I'll give an example. Let's say you take 100 uh, trees that produce apples. And he noticed that most of the trees would produce very little apples and there were just a few trees that would produce the most apples in the entire farm and he started noticing and putting that number down to 80 20 so he noticed observed <clears throat> that 80 percent of the trees would produce 20 percent of the apples and 20 percent of the trees produced 80 percent of the apples let me say that once again 80% of the trees so 80 trees produced about 20 percent of the apples and 20 trees produced 80% of the apples, which is a very cool concept, you know, because we're always taught to like do everything at the same time and multitasking and we go from one thing to the other, from social media feed to Instagram stories, to our emails, to work, to studying, to cleaning our house, to watching TV, to Netflix, to series, to all these different things. And we never really value the importance of our actions or the activities that we have ahead of us. Um, so what Gary Keller did, he took this 80-20 principle, which basically says that when you have a to-do list of 20 things, 80% of those things are not very important and 20% of those things are very important. So maybe out of the 20, focus on three. Um, and Gary Keller took that principle and broke it down to the one thing, which in simplicity goes 80, 20, 1%. So 80% of the fruits, 80% of the trees produce 80% of, sorry, 80% of the trees produce 20% of the fruits. 20% of the trees produce 80% of the fruits, but there's this one tree that produces perhaps 60% of the of the fruits. But the fact that you're focusing on less and on the most important tree allows you to always have at the top of your head what's the most important action you should always be doing at every single activity. Um, and there's a very cool saying in regards to that, they say that when you take a list of things of 20 things to do, the average person will look at the 20 things he has to accomplish and will just go at them with any order, doesn't matter, one after the other. The millionaire, is gonna look at this list and he will take maybe three to four to the five most important things, write them on a separate list and then execute the four or five most important things. So maybe he's not gonna clean the dishes, maybe he's not gonna make his bed, maybe he'll focus on the sales calls instead. Um, <laughs> the billionaire though is gonna look at this list, is gonna take the three to five things and then we'll look at the second list and we'll take the one thing out of those three to five things. 
and we'll put that one thing down and we'll burn the other list. We'll like, that's the only thing I focus on. And everything else will work out itself when I focus on that. Um, and the way he explains it, it's a simple question you ask yourself every morning or every moment. You ask yourself, what is the one thing that I can do right now that if I do that, everything else will sort of become easier to accomplish or maybe even unnecessary, you know, because like when we talk about doing things, we have this energy, this sort of like feeling when it comes to doing this activity, like this procrastination, this resentment. But when you do the big task, when you do the task that most um, has been, you've been procrastinating on and you accomplish it, everything else kind of sort of becomes easier to accomplish. So the question is, what is the one thing that when I do, everything else will become easier or even unnecessary? Does that make sense a little bit? 100%. <coughs> And the legendary Brian Tracy also talks about it. Uh, he wrote a book about this that is called Eat the Frog. Mm, and he, okay. he, he's talking about how it's important to start today with the most important uh, thing that will help you to, to put everything else in place. So I, I can 100% um, relate to that. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> and it also applies in different, <laughs> in different industries as well, right? So like... Um, because like someone might say like, hey, maybe, you know, I can't, I don't just have one important thing I focus on, you know, like my work's important, my family's important. Um, so the way it becomes very practical is that there's always one most important thing in the section that you're interested in. There's always just one activity, which is the most important one. Um, so I'll tell you mine, for example. So we have six areas that I consider important. Spirituality, uh, relationships, um, social, so like fun, uh, work, health and growth, personal growth. So I'll give an example. So my one thing when it comes to spirituality is meditating every day. So I, I focus on doing 30 minutes of meditation every single day. Of course, other stuff is important. You know, talking to, to a higher power or connecting or watching spirituality videos or doing group meditations or giving back. All that stuff's important. But if I had to pick one and usually that one makes everything else easier, it's meditation. And when I do my meditation, everything just sort of becomes easier. So my one thing spiritually is done. Let's take at my work, for example. Uh, so I'm a social media manager, so I create content. Um, my one thing in social media management is sitting myself down and thinking and creating the actual content I have to create. So just taking a, a computer and just writing down. That's my one thing. Of course, there's other things which is important, like doing advertising on Facebook or doing partner campaigns, like giveaway posts or answering DMs or talking to my manager or uh, telling my, asking, doing what my manager wants me to do. But the one most important thing that if I do that as early as possible, everything else sort of becomes easier is creating content. And the same applies to relationships, maybe books, maybe it is read five pages a day also to health for health for example maybe it is you know workout every day so there's always one important activity at each thing we do and making sure that we do that big activity before we do the small ones is a very easy way to 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 get the momentum flowing and also make sure that no matter what happens you're always growing because you're you've identified what's the key growth activity in the area and no matter what happens as long as you do this activity you're growing you're going to consistently grow and i think it's like a, it's actually a safe way to go about your life because you're just consistently evolving and progressing that makes a hundred percent sense for real i'm, happy. <laughs> I'm very happy and you're also the co-founder if i may say of a mastermind which i'm also part of and that mastermind is called Superhumans. <laughs> of course. And talk to us about that and about the overall importance of being part of a mastermind. Mm -hmm. um, as, of course, Napoleon Hill says, mastermind is one of the most powerful things when you have 
two different people who have brains, of course, and those brains are focused on a similar path, a similar goal. They have a similar direction. They do things which are similar to each other. What happens is without us understanding it or noticing it, uh, those brains start communicating with each other and the power, the energy of your activity amplifies. So it's super crucial to have people in your life who are doing and focusing and wanting the same things as you. Because even though we don't consciously realize, the energetic power and the and the, the brain power and the, the emotion and the motivation towards just amplifies without you even understanding it. Um, so having the right people around you is major, major key, if not the most important thing. Um, so about three years ago, I decided I wanted to create a group uh, together with some friends on um, what it is that um, what we want to do every single day and kind of stay consistent with it and just keep each other accountable. You know, we want to do something, we say we're going to do it, and then we tell everyone whether we did it or not. Um, so we started it three years ago, and every single day we would send, you know, like the task of the day, and then we created some habits that we would that were important to us, um, and then we were like, okay, here's what I'm going to do today. And then at the end of the day, we're like, I did it, I didn't do it, you know, with emojis. We would say like tick emoji or X emoji. And then we would do it again and again and the day after and the day after and the day after. And eventually just sort of became this habit where um, we have a group of friends around the world that are focused on self-growth, on success, on whatever it is that they that they want. Like we have uh, people who are interested in spirituality, money, in, in creating podcasts, in, in real estate, different, different fields in life. But the one common factor is we all want growth. We all want to improve ourselves. Right. So every single day, what we do, um, we send our tasks, our daily habits, and then we say whether we accomplish them or not. There's no pressure. There's no um, obligation. Everyone's free to do whatever they want. Nobody's judging. It's no, for them. It's nobody for really them. cares, even actually. We all, right. you know, <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, we do, but not that, like, not that much, right? It's more of like, like I care about you, but I feel um, you. I don't like. I'm not gonna judge you. That's what I mean. I don't exactly. Care. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's super cool, and we do it. Uh, we I send messages every day. I'm sure you you send messages every day. Um, so it's, it's it's something beautiful, and I love the fact that I have a group of people that keep me accountable to who I want to be without them even wanting to keep me accountable just their presence in the group just knowing that hey i'm gonna people will see if i did it or not and because they're my friends and i respect them and i want them to think more of me um i sometimes do things that i wouldn't do if i didn't have this group um so yeah it's a beautiful thing i strongly recommend people to get an accountability group if you want to be a part of ours you're more than welcome um only 999 euros, but that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just kidding. You're all welcome to join. Um, so yeah, I love it. It's been a blessing. It's been a real blessing. And I'm very thankful that there's people like you as well who have been incredibly consistent, even when times when I wasn't consistent. Um, and they put me back up and I was able to continue my journey uh, thanks to the inspiration that you and others have put in this group. So I'm very thankful and I'm very happy uh, that this group's alive. Oh, thank you, man. My pleasure. My pleasure is to uh, inspire you or motivate you. And it's... Um, Anyways, it's, it's, it's mutual. It's mutual. And you guys helped me so much to, to push myself and get out of my comfort zone and just get shit done. <laughs> me too, man. This group changed my life. It really did. Yeah. It really, really did. It's, and it's, 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 a, it's something that I strongly recommend, like getting around people who just want to do the things you want to do. It's like, it's, it's so, un like, you hear it a lot in the news and like in, and news more news now is social media but you hear it a lot on like youtube and instagram and twitter and all this influence like your environment your environment and i've always heard it you know since i'm 15 
But the older I get, the more I understand the power of environment and how people's frequencies and energies and thoughts are unconsciously affecting us in ways that we cannot possibly comprehend at the moment with the advanced physics we have, with the level of advancement we have in physics. So yeah, that group has been powerful. Um, if anyone's listening to this and would love to join, you're more than welcome. 999 uh, euros only. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Now let's get to the spiritual stuff. Sure. You know, just like our bro, Mathieu Spigarelli, who I recently had on the podcast, you've also become a student and practitioner of Dr. Joe Dispenza's teachings. And how has he impacted your life? If I had to pinpoint one person in terms of the information, so not the personal relationship that I had with him, so not the mentorship, but the actual information that I applied from that one person, he's been the single most revolutionary mentor I've come across, more like teacher, teacher I've come across in terms of changing my life. He completely shifted my life 360. Um, yeah, he's a beautiful soul. He's, uh, he's don't even know where to start. He, <clears throat> the biggest thing that he did for me um, was he taught me how to further love. So love myself and love others. Um, he showed me how love works, how to um, love myself, um, love the universe, love source, and just experience what it is that we call, you know, bliss. Um, so yeah, he's completely changed my life. He's, uh, he's my forever teacher. And for the people listening out here, and for the people who know our Mr. P right here, <laughs> he has changed so much for the better since you've been um, applying his teachings, especially your energy. I've told you this before uh, a number of times that your energy seems to be more more pure, uh, there's more love because like all of us, we all struggle with our inner demons and sometimes we, we could really feel it with you and they, they manifest it into mm -hmm. the real world. Mm -hmm. And now since um, Dr. Joe Dispenza's teachings and meditations, applications, you've made a huge transformation and shift. So, wow, that's all I can say. I'm and very thankful for his work. He's yeah, and I'm very really. thankful for Matthew as well. Um, the Fromer we had earlier on the podcast. No doubt. <laughs> He's the one who introduced me to it. I still remember. Um, so the story goes um, back in February. Um, my friend Matthew started meditating, doing all these different seminars. I've known my... For, five, six years now. Um, and he started meditating, going to these different seminars, and I would pay attention to what he would do. I wouldn't really participate, but, you know, I would come to his house and he would insist we meditate. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, and we would run a 30 minutes meditation. I would fall asleep in the first 15 <laughs> minutes and then we'll do it again. And I would fall asleep again and I would fall asleep again. And I stopped seeing the point. And I was like, why are we meditating, man? It's like, it's just a way for me to fall asleep or what? Um, however, um, he kept doing it with me and uh, all more and more and I got a little better at it so I could focus a bit more on meditation and I could focus more on my breathing and I got a little, I saw small improvements and I remember one day when he went to the seminar and he came back and we meditated together and of course I fell asleep and I wake up and I seemed like shaking and trembling and and going completely crazy um, and I was like what on earth is happening and he was fully conscious <laughs> and he was like I'm not controlling it I was like wow um, I didn't really understand what happened but what I did know that whatever he did created him created called or he called some sort of energy that he felt in his body and I could see it with my own eyes being a very practical person I could see that energy manifest in terms of like his movement you know he was 
having spasms. And that kind of hooked me for the first time. That's when, you know, they say seeing is believing. So that was the first time that I saw energy take physical form in a person, in something that he couldn't control. And that got me hooked out because I always understood a little bit about energy, how it worked, but I never really had a physical experience of it. And I think that's what most people want because we live in a 3D world. Everyone's like, yeah, 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 show me what I can see. Um, and I was the same guy. So as soon as I saw that energy with my own eyes and I had the theoretical knowledge to understand that what he was having spasms because was that energy, I got hooked. So I started doing the meditations more and more and more and more um, and with him and he kept improving. He kept teaching me so much. He kept showing me all the meditations, telling me how to do the work. And um, I, I kept going through the process. And since then, I've been meditating almost every day. It's been a wonderful blessing. Um and I love meditation and it's all I want to teach people, show people. I think the answers to the universe, everything we ever want and seek and what we should be doing, what our goals should be, what we need to do tomorrow, what our job should be. It's all within because within right. you have everyone like sorry, within you. There's one. There's a God, you know, and there's a God. But in that, that God is in everyone. And through connecting with yourself, you can connect to that God, whatever it is that you believe in, whether you call it universe energy force or source, energy field, source, intelligence. it doesn't matter. But you can't tell me that all this is just randomly put <laughs> and there's no one controlling it all. Like there's some sort of greater force that's orchestrating this whole thing called universe. And that orchestrating force is within us. Uh, and when we meditate, we can connect to it. And by connecting to it, we can connect to something greater. Um, and it changes a lot of things. You can have a lot of different downloads, energy downloads, information downloads. Um, you can open different centers in your body more so you, there's more energy in them. Um, so yeah, it's a beautiful practice meditation. I strongly recommend everyone to spend, you know, just 10 minutes with yourself in a quiet room and you'll see how hard that is in the beginning. Um, and usually the things that are the hardest are usually the ones that have the most growth. So ask yourself, why is it so hard that I can't, why can't I sit myself for 10 minutes? It's so hard. It's like, maybe that's why I gotta do it because it's so hard. Yeah. Right. And, and being part of much as meditation group. Big only channel. amplifies it yes. i mean we got beautiful souls from yeah. all over the world who have this one common goal of just one love and and unifying and, and just being the greatest version of ourselves yes what I a would beautiful say, thing it is i would say actually the sunday group so we've been meditating since march every sunday as a group i would say that was the second biggest um proof because every time, like, we would we started doing the back in March, and I was still in the stage where I would fall asleep. So in the Sunday meditations, I would fall asleep consistently in those Sunday meditations. But I would wake up, and I was always feeling much more energetic. Like, my heart was beating much faster. I would feel the energy in my chest and, like, my body. I was much more happy. So I would we would have this group meditations. I would fall asleep, and I would wake up much happier. And I was like, what is happening here? You know, like, why am I feeling this? That's a good thing. Um, so, yeah, the Sunday group has been, like, honestly, the... Um, the biggest blessing in the meditation actually because right. it was one of the things that always kept me hooked kept me accountable you know the mastermind once again i had people who had similar goals wanted to elevate themselves and grow and meditate um so having that group was very very powerful for me and very thankful that we still have it and that we right. do it on a weekly basis and now he has taken it to another level where we have numerous group meditations during the week uh, just big shout out to Mathieu. Really. Massive <laughs> shout out to Mathieu. Yeah. Baltic Wednesdays, Paniel Grand Fridays, Healing Sundays. Hey, <laughs> that's what's up. <laughs> and you know it by heart. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Knowing it by heart. And could you tell us uh, anything about the advanced retreat you attended of uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza recently? Sure, in sure. Um, it was a beautiful experience. Um, 
the biggest thing that really helped me um, was the fact that they opened my heart a lot. Um, I became a much more loving person, much more uh, giving, in love with myself, in peace with myself. So it was an experience that I could feel immediately after the event, unlike most workshops where you finish and you're like, oh, nothing came with me. This one, you felt it in your own organ, organs. From a theory perspective, um, it helped me a lot in terms of why I should meditate. So the ones, uh, the one single big golden nugget I would say I took out of that was what's the theory theory of meditation? Because everyone kind of sort of knows about meditation. Nobody really does it. Everyone's like, oh, there's a benefit to it, I guess, but I don't really know why I should do it. And the only <laughs> reason why we don't do things is because we don't understand the benefit of them. If we knew the benefit of them, we would do them without a question. And if they're easy to do, of course. Um, so for example, we brush our teeth because we know we're going to have clean teeth if we have them and we can smell nice and we can talk to people and they're not going to smell our stinky breath. So that's why we brush our teeth. Same with meditation. Like people don't meditate because they don't understand why we should meditate. Um, so what Dr. Joe really, what the one big takeaway from this event was I understood why meditation is very important to us um, and why if it's to me, it's the one single most important activity I should do every single day. Um, and the thing and the theory behind it is very simple is we're all familiar with the unconscious mind and the conscious mind. Uh, we have the unconscious brain that does decisions for us, you know, when we're walking, when we're cooking the dishes and also like talking on the phone, we're doing certain activities that the body does uh, unconsciously for us. And then we have the conscious mind, you know, we take decisions on what I want to do, what I want to do. Now, here's the interesting part. Um, th studies say that up to 95% of our daily lives are run by the unconscious mind, which means that pretty much every single day, we're doing things unconsciously. And even when we think we're doing them consciously, it's still an unconscious decisions. And that goes back to evolutionary perspective of how the body always wants to feel um, the same feelings as that are familiar to it um, so that it stays in the comfort zone. Because if it gets out of the comfort zone, perhaps, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, there was a, uh, uh, someone that could hurt it or there was an event or an attacking tribe or a dinosaur or a big bear that could kill it. Um, kill yourself so the body is just always in the state of like hey I want to feel the same things as yesterday hey I want to feel the same things that I'm used to feeling if you show me a new feeling I'm not too happy with it because I'm not too sure how it's gonna work out now whether that feeling is bad or good doesn't matter like if you're addicted to procrastination you know the feeling when you gotta do some work but instead of doing the work you sit on your computer and your Netflix and social media <laughs> and you're feeling procrastination and you have it in you and the next day, and you say, okay, next I'm going to get rid of it. And then the next day, it's there again. The feeling of, and again, and again, again. What's happening? Your body is unconsciously making you do activities that's going to make you feel the same familiar feeling as the day before because it knows that it's safe and it's not going to kill you. Even that feeling is bad, which in this case is procrastination. So the point of meditation is a lot of people say, you know, I can't meditate. I can't make my thoughts stop. I can't make my, I can't make my thinking go away. Of course not. And very few people can most most advanced monks you got to be a very very advanced meditator to to make your thoughts go away but the point of meditation is not to make your thoughts go away the point of meditation is to train your unconscious body to not run so much of your daily life like 95 percent is too much for you to run like i want you to run less like maybe go down to 70 or 60 but like i want to make i want to be more conscious of what i do um, and the way you do it is you see your unconscious body like a dog you know the same way you train a dog you know like how you would Tell him sit, he doesn't sit. Well, you're not gonna move till he sits. Or you have a candy in your hand and you're like, let's go out, he doesn't go out. Well, you're not gonna get the candy till you go out. And I'm not gonna move out of my meditation um, till I said I was gonna do it. So I'll give an example. When I sit down and meditate, um, 
like everyone else, I get a lot of thoughts, right? So let's say I focus on my breathing, the activities to focus on the breathing, a lot of thoughts come in. Um, like, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? Or what's happening yesterday? Or what did your sister say? Or how's work? Or how's your social media post? Or how's VNX happening? All those thoughts are coming away. And that's where people give up. They're like, oh, I can't make my mind stop. Okay, I'm meditational for me. And they get up. But the point of meditation is not to make the thoughts go away. The point of it is to be aware of them, acknowledge them, and then go back to what you said you would do, which in this case is focus on your breath. So let's say you're focusing on your breath, you're breathing in, and then this thought comes in and you drift away for like a minute or two. Instead of like freaking out and like beating yourself up and like um, telling yourself you can't meditate, like, oh, cool, I drifted. Well, now I'm aware, so I'll go back to my breath. And then you go back to your breath. It happens then, all the time. And then two seconds, exactly, happens all the time. The two seconds after another thought comes in, you're like, you drift again. And they're like, oh, I'm aware now. Well, since I'm aware, I'll go back to my breath because that's what I said I would do. And then you back to the breath. And you do that over and over and over and over and over again. And you do it in one meditation, the second meditation, the third meditation, the fourth meditation. And eventually what starts happening, you start building a muscle. This is like a muscle that you keep training, like exactly like the gym, you know, the more you work out, the more you lift. Um, And the stronger this muscle becomes, the more willpower you have. So meditation is a great way to develop your willpower Um, because you're literally telling yourself, like, you know, sit down till I say you will get up. Like maybe it's an hour, maybe it's one hour and a half, maybe it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And your body will throw everything at you <laughs> the moment you tell it to do something that is not used to. Because it's an unfamiliar feeling. You're sitting with yourself and you have no idea. You've never done this before. So your body goes mental. Um, but the fact that you stick to it through the end and you always go back to the original activity, whether it's focusing on the breath, focusing on the heart, focusing on the different energy centers, focusing on the space around you, focusing on um, the sound you hear, whatever that activity is, as long as you keep coming back to it over and over again, it's a mini win that you get over the body over and over and over again. And the more wins you have, the bigger you build the muscle, the bigger the build you build the muscle, the more willpower you develop, the more willpower you develop, the more conscious thought and actions and free mind you have through it the day. And next time you want to quit smoking and you have the feeling of having a cigarette, you're not going to have that cigarette because you've meditated on it enough and you've trained your body so much that it's like, hey, it's not the dog running the running the human. It's the human running the dog. It's not the program running me. I'm running the program. Um, so that's the whole point of meditation. And really understanding it from a theoretical perspective. And he, he would touch many different things to give you this understanding. Just made me hooked to meditation. Because uh, I was mm-hmm. like, there's nothing better I should do. Um, like the most important thing I should do in my life is probably develop my willpower and my strength and my, my ability to run myself instead of myself running me. So it became my, most, my one thing, if you want to call. Um, right. So I, now in the superhumans group, for example, you only see me posting my meditations. Like I don't post anymore about health or relationships or work. Not that it's not important, but I've just really pinpointed down, hey, here's the one thing that when I do, everything else becomes easier. So I just keep focusing on that over and over again. Wow. <laughs> that was a good one. Hope that makes sense. <laughs> that was a good <laughs> it's one. It's a long topic. Uh, meditation, that was a good one. But uh, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> a beautiful thing. And I encourage every single one of you to spend a bit of time with yourself in silence and ask yourself like, um, if, if this is so hard to do, like, because for most people, it's very hard to sit down and be with themselves. If this is so hard to do, isn't this a sign that I should probably be doing more of that? And that's kind of what got me hooked as well. And are there any fears, limiting beliefs or doubts that you're still dealing with in your daily life? Mm. Oh, of course, uh, uh, several. I would say fear of heights. That's a big one. I'm scared of heights. <laughs> Every time I'm in a high place, I'm always... Um, I'm always scared of heights, uh, fear of money, right? Like I, I believe that I'm, because I'm spending a lot of money, I have like this sort of belief that um, 
like there is money like before it was there is no, no money now that there is money i'm spending it a lot so i can still see that there's some kind of money issues uh belief problems because it's always just like now it's coming more but it's also being spent more so it's kind of like uh, uh so definitely with that um yeah on a daily basis or a lot of stuff you know maybe you see like um maybe you're in a, a networking event and you want to talk to the ceo and then he's like oh this fear of like talking to the person or maybe you see a cute girl or someone that you want to interact with and you want to smile and you want to approach them you get this fear um what's helped me the most to kind of like overcome these daily fears is going to my heart so um being heart-centered and understanding that through the love i feel in my heart um fear goes away love um yeah love is the separation a fear is the separation of love so when you go back mm. to love uh, fear goes away yeah. But yeah, I do. I have uh, hundreds of them. And if more, if not more <laughs> than I cannot name also like the fear of like acceptance, you know, validation. Uh, we all right. do. We all do. The, the, it's not something sure. you solve quickly. It's as you would say. It's as a process. Well, it's a process. Exactly. Right. Exactly. If you could go back in time and talk to your, I don't know, 13 or 14 year old self, what is the ultimate advice that you would give to that younger version of yourself? You should have become a professional video gamer. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm very happy with how my life turned out. Um, I think I'm, uh, I'm very, I'm very blessed actually with everything that's happened. However, I would take Patrick's advice, which was don't listen to anyone except in you, and I would tell that to myself at a younger age. Um, so he told it to me at 19. I would go to the 13 years old me, you know, that was hooked into gaming and believed that was a profession that could become a professional player and was working with a team and had the team and had the environment and was working in it and was working in it and who just simply gave up because he didn't think it was possible um, because of the environment. I would say, hey, yo, don't listen to anyone. What you feel inside of your heart is not just you saying it, it's the universe. And the universe knows and sees everyone and feels everyone. So if the universe is saying it to you, there is no one that can be more right in the universe, no matter what your dad, mom, sister says. Um, so you should go do what you feel in you, you should go do. And at the time it was video games, it was my first big dream. So I would I would be interested to explore how would that work out? You know, how would I be <laughs> as a geek video gaming the whole time? You know, that would be a funny right. thing to watch. <laughs> but yeah, I would take Patrick's advice, which was don't listen to anyone much younger, much younger. With thinking, of course, of, don't listen to anyone doesn't mean that you're, you're doing... Um, that, that, of course, implies that you're a reasonable person who is not going to go out and, you know, like destroy your life or like kill someone or like um, re within reasonable um, terms. But once again, if you truly feel it in your heart and it's burning hot and you really want it, it's yours, man. It's yours. Mm. What are some most now what are some must read book recommendations that you would make? I want to thank you for that, for one of the big recommendations that you made, and that was the book by Tim Grover, mm. Relentless. And he is the former athletic coach of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Dwayne Wade. And he just is teaching you how to harness your inner darkness, mm -hmm. because we all have it. Mm. We, we are animals, we are born with certain instincts, and most of us try to repress that uh, negative so to say mm -hmm. that dark part uh, mm -hmm. of uh, ours and that had a major impact on my life mm -hmm. so i don't know if there are any specific books you would it's recommend book. yeah. I've, I've read i've read relentless i think six or seven times like, yeah i've yeah. studied that book so much i'm so happy you loved it it's a great book it's a great book um so once again 
there, there are general books that you can read, of course, that apply to different things. But once again, depending on what you're interested in, uh, it's best to read books on what it is that you want to do. So I'll give you a very quick example. Let's say you, you kind of know you want to do marketing. You kind of know you want to do tech. You kind of know you want to be a doctor. You kind of know you want to be a spiritual, whatever. Like maybe read a book in that field. Um, I would say that's the most practical thing a person can do is to, to get more aware of what it is that they want to do and want to focus on. So depending on what you focus on, the, the study material is different. However, uh, the ones that helped me the most in my growth, I would say um, I'll give you a top five list uh, in whatever order. Um, number one, uh, in whatever order. Um, Relentless was a great book by Tim Grover. Speaks about, as you said, the power of like working hard and like being focused on what your craft is and not caring about anything else. I would say the one thing, the importance of pinpointing the most important activity in each um, field you're working on and kind of going about it. The third would be the greatest networker in the world. It's a story of a network marketer and explains how he built a very big business by being very human. So it, yeah. it puts a very nice perspective on how you can make a lot of money while still being very human and care about people and spend time with people without being a... Value-based. Yeah, value-based, exactly. And connecting-based, like human to human, which was great. Um, another book I would say would be um, <clears throat> um, Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's like, it's like, Legendary. <laughs> it's like if you're ready to... Uh, this book is a very simple book. It's like if you're ready to wake up, um, this book will come or this book or this work will come to you maybe once or twice, but uh, this book wakes people up. It really does. And the work it does as well. So Becoming Supernatural about meditation and energy and how we're all one and how we can transform our lives through the power of it um and then the fifth book i'd say another one um, rediscover jesus a very practical book on little small poems on practical lessons jesus did uh, like stories of what jesus did and then a practical lesson from it um like why did he do it uh, very powerful um touch teaches you a lot about giving and love and um and practical loving advice yeah so Relentless, so becoming supernatural, the one thing, the greatest network in the world, and Jesus. Jesus, rediscover Jesus. There we yeah. go. Exactly. Before we get to the last question, can you tell us where people can find you sure. online and connect with you online? Sure. So you can follow me on Instagram, Mr. Pericles, Mr. Pericles, um, Facebook, Pericles Economides, Twitter, Pericles Economides. Uh, LinkedIn, Pericles Economides. I have a long name. I'm sorry. Um, hopefully, <laughs> I would you'll, in, hopefully in, you'll be able to write it down <laughs> without too many mistakes. <laughs> um, and you can also DM me on WhatsApp. So you can send me a message on WhatsApp. So if you go to my Instagram profile, um, my WhatsApp is there. So you can send me a message on WhatsApp. I'm easy to connect with. Um, you're more than welcome to reach out for any advice, any help. If you think we can work together or do something together, I'm more than happy to talk to you. Even if you just want to connect, um, I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you. Just go to my Instagram, Mr. Pericles, and then you'll see my WhatsApp. Send me, a, send me a message and I'll be right with you. Mr. P, what is your message to the world? My message to the world is that Nobody really knows what they're talking about. I don't really know what I'm talking about. Michael doesn't really know what they're talking about. Your teachers don't really know what they're talking about. Your professors, your gurus, your mentors. Everyone's just seeing the world from their own glasses. So nothing is really the way it is. Everything is just the way people see it is from their own perspective. So everything you hear, see, or experience is not really the truth. It's just the truth seen from someone else's perspective. So the question is where the truth is. And the truth is within us. All the crazy dreams, all the crazy aspirations, the places you want to go, the people you want to visit, the companies you want to work for, the people you want to love, everything you want to do that's coming from in you 
is the highest form of truth and it's coming directly from the universe itself and there is no one more safe to follow than god or the universe or whatever it is that you want to call it so i would say this coming year with a with a new year coming up i'm personally going to take some time for myself and just sit down in silence and just connect closer to who i am focus on my breath do some meditations getting peace with myself and just truly feel from within what it is that i want to do who it is that i want to be who do i want to spend my time with what are the things that are coming innately from within that I should be doing? And then just getting super clear on them and super focused. It's like, no one's going to distract me from it. No mom, no sister, no dad, no company, no distraction. I'm going to do it. That's it, period, because the universe told me. So that would be it. Spending, spending some time with myself and just connecting with myself and source. Wow. <laughs> Man, I really, I sincerely and genuinely want to thank you and acknowledge you for being a great friend, for pushing me as well as others to get out of our comfort zone and to become the greatest version of ourselves. And you're truly one of a kind with special humor and joy of life, which are contagious. I absolutely love it. For the people who spent time around Mr. P, it's never going to be boring and you're going to learn a lot of stuff for sure. And honestly, if you do not mess around and you're serious about what you want to accomplish in life and who you want to become, I mean, there's nobody and nothing that can stop you uh, but yourself. So, bro, I'm really wishing you a lot of abundance and prosperity going on. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. It was a great interview. You're an amazing friend. I'm so happy that I've met you maybe three years ago where we first met. I think only two. Two years ago? Yeah, I feel like it's been 10 years, man. It's crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I'm very happy that you met and I'm so happy that I have someone who is as focused on growth and self-improvement as myself. Um, and you've helped me as much as I have helped you at least to say, you know, the, the motivation you have and the fire within you is, is just inspiring to say the least. So thank you. Thank you for your commitment to success. Thank you for creating this podcast and thank you for having me on this beautiful interview. Thank you, bro. My thank pleasure. you. That's it. Peace out. That's it for today's episode of the Grove Never Stops podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this one and feel free to connect with us online. I will drop the links in the description below. Let us know what you like the most about this episode, what you learned from it. And I sincerely hope that this one can inspire you to step out of your comfort zone and just max out, become the greatest version of yourself. And it's pretty clear that all growth starts at the end of your comfort zone. And I'm going to finish up with a beautiful quote again. This time a different one. And that is probably my favorite quote of all time. It is from one of the most brilliant minds ever, Nikola Tesla. And that is, if you wish to understand the secrets of the universe, think in terms of frequency, energy, and vibration. Growth never stops.